taking a stand. We want to take a stand for things that are right, things that are true. And oftentimes people will say, I have good news, but I also have some bad news. I heard this joke this week that started me thinking about the good news and bad news. This lady calls her husband while at work, and her husband is very busy at work. And she says, I have some good news and bad news. And he says, I'm really busy. I don't have, I don't have the ability to listen to everything. Just give me the good news. And she says, the good news is the airbags in the car work really well. <laughs> so you see, sometimes in order to get to the good news, we also have to understand that there is bad news as well. And as we look in the world around us, we recognize there's some bad news in the world around us. There's uncertainty, there's pandemic, there's people losing their job, there's people in hospital, people in our church family that are in a hospital. There's uncertainty in the future, there's relational difficulties. And we look at the world and the wars and the different things that are taking place in the, in the Middle East and th- things that are taking place in Asia and there's things taking place in, in the Ukraine border with Russia and the scariness of all these things taking place. And you think there's a lot of bad bad news. But in order to understand the bad news, we also have to understand there's some good news as well. And that's what we're going to be focusing upon this morning is taking a stand because there is good news. Through this series, the, the overall challenge has been to discover unity together. Our principle through this series. We've had a number of principles. It started off four weeks ago as the gospel-focused church will be unified. Then we moved on from that. A gospel-focused church will have unique stories, and every single one of us has a unique background, a unique story. The gospel-focused church will allow God to work. And this morning is a gospel-focused church will stand together. Now, many of you have been here every Sunday through this, this series, so you already know this information. But I'm going to share this again so that everyone's on the same page. As far as who this man who wrote the book of Galatians is, why he wrote the book, and what took place in his life. So I'm going to give you a really quick synopsis. There was a man named Saul who later became Paul. A young boy growing up, he grew up going to incredible private schools and learning the law where he was being trained to become a Pharisee, which was one of the religious leaders. And as a religious leader, he excelled to the point where he was the is a Pharisee of the Pharisees, he described himself as. And as he grew and developed, they would follow the law of God to a T. And they would look at others, and not in an encouraging way, they would look at others and going, you're not as good as we are, you're not as spiritual and holy as we are. And as time went on, he saw these people who began to follow Jesus. And as the Christian church grew and developed, he became even more zealous for his Pharisee law. As time went on, he began to get permission from the high priest to go and to take Christians and the church and kick in the doors, rip apart families, throw people in prison. And the very first time that we see Saul described in the Bible, he's overseeing the murder of one of the deacons of a church after he had preached a sermon presenting the gospel. This is how zealous he was. People were fleeing for their lives, and they were deathly afraid of this man Saul and what they would do. Then God miraculously came across in Saul's 
life and, and literally led him to Christ. He came to him in a bright light, spoke with him and says, basically, Saul either had a choice. Either you follow Jesus or like you're dumb. And he followed Jesus Christ and he took that same passion for the law and turned it into a passion for Jesus Christ. Over the course of time, he grew and developed, and he still had a reputation as a, as a persecutor. He still had a reputation as a murderer. People were still afraid of this man, Saul. And he later on changed his name to Paul, and he became a, a leader in the church. And with, as a leader in the church, he was sent out to go out on a missionary journey to share the good news. And on his first missionary journey, he goes to an area called Galatia which is in modern-day Turkey, and that's why we have the book of the Bible, Galatians. And he preached the gospel there. He suffered persecution. In fact, he was hated so much that people dragged him out of the city and took huge stones and threw them at him where they thought he was dead. Literally, they stoned him where they thought was to death. And he gets up, gingerly cleans himself off, walks to the next city, and continues to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And as he returned home, another group of people came behind him. People that were followers of Jesus Christ, but they changed it a little bit. They said, you can be a follower of Jesus Christ, but you also must be a follower of the Jewish law. So you have to become a Jew and Jesus. And we discovered in past weeks that it's in Jesus Christ in him alone. It's not the law. It's not your, your physical acts. It's not following a set of rules. It's in Jesus Christ in him alone. It's not the church. It's not the Ten Commandments. It's only in Jesus Christ. And Paul had a major issue that he was confronting in this book. He was confronting the issue, as it says in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. This different gospel is not the good news of Jesus Christ. To define the word gospel, it is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's in him alone that we find our salvation. It's not Jesus Christ and our good works or Jesus Christ and religious practice. It's only in Jesus Christ. And as Paul is writing this letter, he's writing for the life of this church and the message of this church. Are they going to be followers of the law, which is going to be the, not the gospel at all? Or are they going to be followers of Jesus Christ? And you can see the passion in this book as he's writing. He's writing with passion because he knows these people. He knows who they are. He loves their communities. And he says, if we don't get this right, the gospel will have no effect at all. So as he's writing, there's a, some parallel passages that are recorded in the book of Acts that were taking place at this time. The book of Galatians tells this account. There's another book of the Bible, the book of Acts, which tells the account also. In Acts chapter number 15, in verses 1 and 2, it says, But some men came down from Judea, were teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. This is a really Bible way of saying they had a huge fight had no small dissension and debate with them. They had an incredible argument and de de debate about what was true. Is it the law and Jesus or Jesus Christ and him alone? Paul and Barnabas and some other of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. 
So they have this big argument, big discussion, and they come to the conclusion, we're going to go back to Jerusalem and talk to the apostles, talk to Peter and James and John and the other apostles and find out what it is that the God really is teaching here. And that leads us into Galatians chapter number two. We're just going to look at the first two verses this morning and particularly the beginning, just in the very, very first phrase. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem. Paul was coming to Jerusalem for the fight of his life. He's had some passion in the past where he's been passionate for the law. Now he understands the grace of God. And now he's coming to confront these people that are teaching false doctrine. He's standing for something that is true. He's standing for something that he says it's worth dying for. It's worth giving my life for. He says, I'm going to take a stand. Paul here is a freedom fighter. This morning we have two points. We have a stand together. And secondly, stand for truth. Stand together and stand for truth. The first one is stand together. Verse number one of Galatians 2. Then after 14 years... I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. Something I jumped out at me. As I began studying this passage a couple of weeks ago, but especially this last week, I had some things in my mind that I was uh, the direction I was going, but as I studied it out, these, this little verse jumped out at me. Paul here is going to Jerusalem to stand for what is right, but he doesn't do it by himself. He says, I'm going to bring some other people with me that I need to do this together. In your life and my life, we are part of a church family. We're not called to do life all by ourselves. I think there's a number of reasons why Jesus Christ started the church. And one of those reasons is he knows that we need mutual encouragement. We need to be challenged by others. Sometimes we need that positive peer pressure of saying, oh, if they can do it, so can I. Or if they're going to do it, so will, so will I. And we come along together. We serve together in ministry. We are encouraged by other people's accounts and stories. We see a person in need and we can come alongside them. We see someone that knows more than us and we can learn from them. And we see someone that's, that's still growing in their faith and we can come bring them along with us. And that's what Paul is discovering here. He says, I can together, I can find encouragement together. And we look at the beginning of verse number one. He brings along with him a man named Barnabas. Barnabas is a man that's known and has a reputation as an encourager. There's two things I want to see. I want you to mold this around in your mind, and I would love for you to remember this. Is first of all, be an encourager. Be an encourager. Secondly, accept encouragement. So it goes two ways. I can and you can actively be an encourager, but also we need to accept the encouragement of others. I cannot speak for ladies, but I can certainly speak for men. And stereotypical man mindset is, I have no problem helping someone else, but I don't want to receive help from somebody else. I have no problem encouraging someone else, but I'm fine the way I am. I don't need to be encouraged. And as stereotypically masculine as that is, that is absolutely wrong in the way that we should live. We should be encouragements, but also be open to be other people being a blessing to us. This man Barnabas was a man that had a reputation as an encourager. 
There's a number of passages in the Bible that record the story of Barnabas and who he was. We first see him in Acts chapter number 4. In Acts 4, he actually has the real name. is His name is Joseph. Barnabas is just his nickname that describes him. You imagine having such an incredible nickname like, like this because his name is Joseph. It says, thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas. What does it mean? which means son of encouragement. He was a person that had such a reputation as an encourager, his nickname literally meant encouragement. What a wonderful attribute this man had. But it wasn't just that he had the reputation of being an encouragement, he was also actively involved in that. In Acts chapter number 4, in this particular period of time, the, the church in Jerusalem is just in its infancy. People are being saved and baptized. Lives are being transformed literally by the thousands at this time period. And what they're discovering is there's people in need. And now I know Christ is my Savior, and I want other people to know that too. So Barnabas put some practicality behind it. And it goes on and says, A Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. He was actively involved. And he cared for others. This man Barnabas was being brought along by the Apostle Paul for the fight of his life. He was being brought along because when you're in the fight of your life, you want to bring someone along that's an encourager that will build you up. Saul and Barnabas had a history together. Barnabas was one of these people that stood up when no one else would stand up for Saul. When everyone else turned their back. In Acts chapter number 9, it records when the Apostle Paul was just saved, he began to preach the gospel. And of course, people didn't know what had taken place in his life. And they see the man that used to be, as in a few weeks earlier, a persecutor of the church, the people that they were deathly afraid of, that had scattered the church abroad, was now preaching Jesus Christ. And he was trying to define some of the disciples and the apostles. It says in Acts 9, And when he had come to Jerusalem, that is Saul, he attempted to join the disciples. And of course, where do they go? They go, uh-uh, we're going to hide from you. You are just killing us. This is just a ploy to get in and kill us. And it goes on, and they were afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple or a follower of Jesus Christ. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. It took one person to stand up and say, I'm going to vouch for you. I'm going to stand behind you. Some of you are going to be going to new schools and some of your children are going to be going to new schools in a couple of weeks time, which as a parent, we're all saying, woohoo, school, the, the students and the teachers are sad, but the parents, we're happy. And as these students go to new schools, it's a little bit scary walking into a new place. But you know what? If you just had one friend, it makes the world a difference. Get one person to sit with at lunch. It makes a world of difference. That's what took place with Saul here. Everyone else was going, we're rejecting him. He, we don't believe him. And one person, Barnabas the encourager, stands up and says, I'm going to stand with him. I'll vouch for him. I believe him. Later on, when Saul went off into the wilderness being taught. He ended up in his hometown of Tarshish. Barnabas was sent out by the church to go and find Saul. 
And it says in Acts chapter number 11, the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. So Barnabas went to Tarshish to look for who? To look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. Barnabas and Saul meeting together and ministering together. Barnabas, the ever the encourager, sees the potential in somebody else and says, I'm not only going to encourage, but as time went on over that course of that year, Paul grew in his faith and he grew in his ability to teach and he grew in his reputation. And if you look through the book of Acts, every single time up until Acts chapter number 13, it's Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul. And then after that time, the majority of time when they're introduced, it is Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, where the roles switch, where the man who was the encourager has now encouraged Paul to the point where now Paul is the leader and Barnabas is the second. When we stand together in encouragement, tremendous things can take place. Even today, Barnabas is remembered. There's a fund that, in fact, I'll read, the, the, it's called the Barnabas Fund. It says, works to provide a hope for an aid for the persecuted church for Christians, from Christians, through Christians. We need to be an encourager, but also accept encouragement. How do we do this? We do this through prayer. It's one of the ways we do this. We pray for other people and we encourage you as God brings people to your mind. Take a moment and pray for them. Oftentimes, like this happens multiple times a day, God will bring various people and circumstances to my mind. And rather than going, I'll pray for that later, the practice that I've been putting in place, which I'll encourage you to do the same, is to stop at that very moment and pray a prayer. If you know the circumstances, pray over the circumstances. If you just, God brings a person to your mind, say, God, will you bless them? Will you protect them? I don't know what's happening in their life, but you do. And you know something else that I encourage you to do? is to send that person a text message. It doesn't have to be a long text message. It's simply, God brought you to my mind today. Or if I've been thinking about you today, I'm just stopping to pray for you right now. You imagine the impact it can make if every single one of us in our church family just did one of those a week, let alone seven of them a week or multiple a day, as God were quick to respond to be an encouragement. There's two things that take place there. You get to be an encouragement. That person gets to be encouraged. But also, you notice that things, certain things are contagious, not just pandemics, but certain positive things are contagious. Things like being an encouragement. When you're an encouragement to others, they're encouragement to other people. Imagine the impact that we can do together by simply telling people, I'm praying for you today. There's some other things you can do, text messaging, emails, and Facebook messages. There's practical help of providing meals, helping people move, looking for opportunities. When you hear someone in need, seek to fulfill that need or to connecting with someone that can. There's church fellowship time. There's the power of the coffee cup, or you can call it the tea cup. We have coffee and tea before and after the services. The reason why we do that is not just because we feel that you need coffee. That's not the reason. The actual reason is we want you to have a cup of coffee and there's something, I don't know what it is, I don't think it's necessarily deep psychological reasoning, but having a cup of coffee in front of us or tea 
we instantly become a little braver. I don't know what it is, but sitting across with somebody and talking over a cup of coffee, we're instantly brave and we have an opportunity to talk. Rather than the end of the service saying, see you later, bye, and walking out the door, we spend a few minutes. That's why we make the water extra, extra hot so that you're forced to blow on it and stay longer and to connect with other people. And the thought behind that is gives you opportunity to be an encourager, but also in return, you get to accept encouragement. It works two ways. In future weeks, we'll be doing connect meals when we connect people in different families together and trying to build relationships that way. But the real underlying thing is it comes down to do what you already enjoy doing, but let's do it with a purpose. Imagine the impact that we can make if we stand together in encouragement as we seek to connect and grow and serve together. As we move on from there, the Apostle Paul when he was going for the fight of his life, brings along his encourager. That's kind of obvious. But he also brings along another man, a man named Titus, where he was standing together in discipleship. And standing together in discipleship, he brought along a person that was comparatively new to the faith. It says there, taking Titus along with me. Titus chapter 1 verse 4 describes Titus as a son to Paul, a son in his faith. It says in that verse, to Titus, my true child in common faith. He says, you're my son in the faith. I'm going to bring you along and disciple you. I'm going to teach you and develop you. The next part and the thought there is we need to be a developer and also accept development. Be a developer and accept development. Titus was a young Christian at this time, a young man who was brought under the wing of the Apostle Paul and of Barnabas. And imagine being in the circumstance and learning, learning from the, these men. And later on in Titus's life, he became a pastor on the island of Crete. And the, ch- the church on the island of Crete was a really messed up church. And he had to have some foundation and some doctrine behind him where he had that training, the time with Barnabas and the time with Paul. And later on in his life, we see that Titus was an encouragement and a comfort to Paul when he was weak. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter number 7, verses 5 and 6, But for even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. Titus was the one that's being developed. And later on in his life, he gets to be an encouragement and develop encouragement in the life of the Apostle Paul. There's often opportunities that we have to disciple others. Within our church family, we have our connect groups that meet in homes through the week. And what we do is we seek to build relationships and develop relationships with one another. We have our Explore the Bible Bible studies on Friday nights. We have a discipleship program. We're developing and redeveloping our Bible Institute in order to develop people within discipleship. But part of of whatever we do in ministry is we we don't bring somebody in. I'll use, for example, I'll use children's ministry as the example. We don't say, great, you want to work in children's ministry? See you later. Go, Go work it out. We partner you with other people and you get to do it together and to serve together, build relationship there and learn from each other. 
we're together in encouragement, but also together in discipleship. Paul here, in the fight of his life, he says, I, I need to stand for what is right. I need, to, I need to fight for what is the truth. And he stands there and he stands up and he says, I'm not going to do this by myself. I'm going to bring Barnabas. I'm going to bring Titus along with me. And together, we're going to stand for truth. That was verse number one. If you go to the second verse, verse number two, it says, I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure that I was not running or had run in vain. That last part, to make sure I was not running or had run in vain. He says, I'm going to stand before these, these people, these, these church leaders, and I'm going to submit myself to them, and I'm going to listen to what they say. I know what Christ told me, but I'm going to make sure that it's the same thing that they've been told as well, that we're working together. He said, I'm not going to bring some new thing in. I want to make sure that it's substantiated. There's a huge difference between being obstinate, which I don't think it's an attribute any of us should aspire to. There's a huge difference between being obstinate and being submissive to truth. An obstinate person just wants to stubbornly argue. A dictionary definition of obstinate is stubbornly refusing to change one's opinion or chosen course of action, despite attempts to persuade one to do so. If you look at different words in the thesaurus that are similar to the word obstinate, it is adamant, bullheaded. And this is just wonderful attributes that we all should, not at all, we should not aspire to any of these. Bullheaded, hard, hard-headed, hard-nosed, immovable, inflexible, self-opinionated, stiff-necked, stubborn, unyielding. That's absolutely not the course of action we should be taking. Rather, we should be submissive to truth. Where do we find truth? We find truth in the Word of God. We have the truth of our calling. If you look at the Apostle Paul's life, he was a very passionate man. He stood for what he believed in often, and he would fight to the death for what he believed in. But now he has something far deeper, the truth of his personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And the beginning of verse number two says, I went up because of revelation. Jesus Christ told me, so that's why I'm doing what I'm doing today. The truth because of a revelation. Essentially, he's saying, what does the Bible say? Now, he has special revelation from Jesus Christ, but it wasn't just him alone that was told, tell the, and share the gospel with the Gentiles. The apostle Peter had also had visions, and he had come to the conclusion that the gospel is from for the Gentiles also. And so they'd separately been told by Jesus Christ, this was, the gospel was open for all. They don't have to become Jews. They simply have to trust in Jesus Christ. And now Paul's standing before these people and saying, what is it that we should do? Here's what Jesus Christ told me. He's really saying, what does the Bible say? In Galatians chapter 1, verse 12, it says, For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. God will not give you today a special revelation of a new doctrine. 
That's how cults are developed. And I don't say that as a joke. When people come along and they say, I have special revelation that supersedes anything else the Bible says, that is a cult. And what we see here is quite the opposite. He says, what I've been told by Jesus Christ aligns with the Scripture and also aligns with what God has told the other apostles also. Every single one of us has a call of God. We have a universal call to salvation. We, God, we have a God who loves us and cares for us, who sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins, who's, who's offered us life not just for now, but for all eternity in heaven. And we also have a personal call. That personal call is what is He individually skilled and given you opportunity? What's the burdens and calling in your own life? And something that we often do, which is not correct, is we look at others and say, well, that person has this call. I wish I had their call. I wish I had their ability. You have a personal call. I believe as a, as a teenager, I had a personal call to go and, and to go to Bible college and become a pastor. And as time went on, I had a personal call in the sense of, God, where do you want to send us? And that's where I believe that we ended up here in the suburb of Dayel, but really in the southwest region of Western Australia. We look at this and going, God, you gave me a personal call, but you haven't given that to everyone else. That's not extra revelation. It just aligns with our calling. We have a truth of our calling, but also have the truth of the gospel. That's really what they were talking about. That's the whole reason why they went to Jerusalem, because the gospel was at stake. What is true? You've heard the statement, the gospel truth. So the word gospel aligns with real solid truth. A verse again in Galatians 2, verse 2. I went up because of revelation and set before them the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had run in vain. This church in Galatia, these many churches in these cities that spread across this region, were fighting this exact same battle. They were, the battle was, do we follow the law and Jesus or do we follow Jesus Christ and him alone? In your life, in my life, we face battles. We face battles for the truth. And there's a lot of different things that we have as our preferences. There's a lot of ideas that each and every one of us have. There's certain ways that you do things, but it doesn't really matter eternally. But when we talk about the gospel, that impacts eternity. But there's barriers to the gospel. We're the barrier of our attitude. Our attitude, and normally when we think of attitude, if you have teenagers, you, you have the word bad attitude. And the way that you look at things. And we often have the attitude of pride, with the attitude of fear, the attitude of self-reliance. And these things clog God's working in our life. And I was going to put a picture of a clogged drain on the screen, but as I googled the images, they were kind of gross. So I just want you to imagine a clogged drain, because they're gross. And if you know my family, my, my wife and daughters all have long hair, so I'm constantly cleaning out drains. And I know it's not me, because the hairs are like super long. And there's a one particular drain that goes out to the, to the main pipe, and it's the main clean-out pipe that we have that's connected to the different different bathrooms, but it's also connected to the kitchen sink and the dishwasher. And over time, they get clogged with, I don't know what it is. It's gross. 
Like it's, I'm not just, I'll describe it too vividly, but it's oily gunk and hair and corn and all these other stuff in there. You get the snake and you put it down the pipe when you have the clogged pipe and the, the pipes begin to back up and you clean it out and, you, and then you put your arm down. My arm, as big as my bicep is, is just big enough to fit down in that little hole and to clean it out and it's disgusting. Like I'm encouraging my son Caden to become a plumber so I never have to do that again, but he says no. And cleaning it out, you pull out this stuff, and as you pull the pipe back and forth, you clean up the clog that is stopping the flow of water. And as time goes on, you finally get that clog cleared out. All of a sudden, the water goes flowing through, and you have a pile of hair and blah sitting there in the bucket. And I do naturally show my family because I want them to realize what I've done. And then... Like the shirt that I wore one time, I was like, I'm throwing this away. Like, I'm not going to even bother having this clean. This is, oh, it was disgusting. And as you have it there, you don't take that pile of clog blah and put it on your mantle as, a, as a something you go, I'm so proud of that. You take the clog and you get rid of it. You never want to see it again. And you never want to see that pipe clogged ever again because it's gross. You want it out of your life. As silly as that illustration is, the reason why I tell you that silly story like that is I want you to remember this. In our lives, there are barriers to the gospel that become clogs in our life. God wants to work. He wants us to be an encouragement. He wants us to be discipled. He wants us to be developed. He wants us to encourage others and be a blessing. He wants us to learn. He wants us to help others. And we have these things in our life that begin to clog the gospel. In this day and age, in Paul's day and age, it was the law and Jesus was a clog to the gospel that had to be cleared out. In our lives, I don't know what your clog is. Let me challenge you. As God brings it to your heart and your mind, will you allow God to clean out that clog and get rid of it so that it's never going to come back again? Clean out that clog and forgive you of that so that you can be an encouragement You can be an encourager, but also accept encouragement. You can be a developer, and you can also accept development. And imagine the impact that our church family can make in our local community, in our region, and ultimately the world if we simply allow God to remove the clogs of our life. In a moment, we're going to sing a song, and we're going to pray, and then you're going to be dismissed. Let me encourage you, get a cup of coffee, take your time at the end of the service. But let's think about how we can stand together and stand for truth because there's something to fight for in this world. And it's going to make an eternal impact in your life and the lives of others.